What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder here on another edition of the Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, Jeff Duncan uh, is not going to be able to make it this week, but thankfully we have two guests coming on the show. Of course, it's the athletic family. We're going to have to talk Pelicans. We're going to have to talk Saints. Pelicans in the midst of Zion mania and trying to make a run for the playoffs. We're going to have our Pelicans writer, Will Guillory, jump on the program. And then later on in the podcast, we will talk all things Saints, all things NFL Combine, what comes in next, free agency, with our own Catherine Terrell, as uh, Catherine and I uh, have finished our whirlwind of a journey at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast here on The Athletic, you could do so in two ways. One, join The Athletic. You can go through theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Get 40% off your first year subscription. We appreciate all those who have done that. Also, you can listen to this free on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, tell 10, tell 20, tell a million people, and jump on board. But we're going to start Pelicans Talk first. Look, we are fresh off the Zion, LeBron, uh, Bulls running into each other. And, uh, of course, the Lakers won that game. But life moves on. It's one game. Of course, the Pelicans are in the midst of a playoff run, potentially fighting for their playoff lives uh, as they battle for that eight seed. And Will Guillory is going to jump on here right now. Will, I know uh, we're recording this Tuesday morning. So Pelicans play tonight uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, just... I know there was a, we could rewind a little bit and talk about the Lakers game because there's so much talk when it's Zion versus LeBron. It's like the old phenom versus the young phenom. Like when you're de- covering that and you're talking to folks and, and those kind of two people collide, I mean, there's a bigger buzz. I mean, you, all you had to do is watch ESPN; it was everywhere. I mean, you could not escape it. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy because uh, basically from the moment he stepped into the NBA, LeBron has been the center of the NBA universe and everything has kind of revolved around him. And now, you know, LeBron's kind of every time the Pelicans play against the the Lakers, LeBron's answering a million Zion questions. And Zion is the biggest storyline on ESPN, like you said. And and so many people are intrigued by him even more than LeBron. We've talked a lot about Zion Williamson. You've written a lot about Zion Williamson. Obviously, he's a key piece to the puzzle. Uh, but and we could jump back into Zion talk here in a little bit. But Will, uh, I thought you did a really good job uh, getting another piece of this puzzle, especially uh, after the Lakers games the last uh, couple of times with Brandon Ingram. I mean, look, we know Brandon Ingram has been uh, the main scorer the entire season, uh, even though Zion has come along. And of course, you can't do it alone. You need more than just Zion and. I think you did a really good job. Just kind of explain to the audience uh, just where you're coming from with your story on Brandon Ingram and how it's almost like a a little mini battle within himself that for him to excel, he's got to be able to play well against the Lakers, and he hasn't these last couple of times. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the story of this team going forward, obviously, is going to be a lot about Zion Williamson, but I think it's going to be even more about the the pairing of Zion and Brandon Ingram and how far those two guys can take these franchises because we know Zion's going to be a superstar and he's going to be one of the biggest names in this league. But Brandon Ingram has already shown us that he has the potential to be one of the best players in the league right along Zion. And if you can have two guys, you know, of that upper echelon level, then you you can start looking at this team as a potential title contender. Uh, he's already made the all-star team. He's proven he could be a guy that gives you 25 a night. But I think what makes him so interesting and different from other guys in his position is his willingness to kind of come forward and admit some of the internal things that he's dealing with. And he, he told us right after the game that, you know, maybe he's a little bit too hyped when he plays against the Lakers because in the four games he's played against his former team this year, he's shooting around 30% from the field. That last time out, he scored 15 points. Point shot five of twenty three from the field. Literally, his two his two worst shooting games of the season came against the Los Angeles Lakers, and I think a lot of it has to do with just that defense and how long they are and athletic they are, and they kind of give a lot of people those type of problems. But Brandon Ingram is a guy where he can score against anybody, and the fact that he's struggling so much, a lot of it has to do with just what he's dealing mentally, what he's dealing with mentally against his old team. And I think it was so interesting that he was willing to kind of let us in. Where Larry, you know, there's so many of these star guys, they get used to all this immediate attention, and the last thing they want to do is kind of admit to what they're going through mentally to guys like us, you know, especially after a tough loss. And he was willing to say, hey, man, I, I just get too hyped up for these games. I got to start, you know, being more focused. I got to be more calm in these situations to lead my team because if I want to be where LeBron is, I got to be able to handle these situations the way he does. And, and I, I think that's going to be a big part of him going forward is just figuring out how to uh, not only play well in these situations, but how to approach it coming in so he's not too hyped or he's too high or too low going into these games because this isn't the, the first or the last time he's going to be in a huge environment big game a lot of hype and probably won't be the last time he has one against the Los Angeles Lakers you can see these two teams having some premier playoff battles even beyond this year uh, so I think that says a lot about B.I. and just his self-awareness I think it's so different from guys I've been around in the past his willingness are one of our running jokes after games as well how be how's B.I. going to blame himself for this loss or how how is he going to say this was his this was his bad this time because he's just one of those guys where he just says hey you know it's all me I got to play better no matter what the circumstances were. And I think that's kind of an example a lot of his teammates follow. Yeah, I think that's refreshing. And I think it's a good trend I mean, because uh, we could see it. And then if he just kind of shies away from it and, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, look, who knows how much public perception really matters. But still, uh, I think it's refreshing to admit that and something that he knows he needs to work on. And I think that's uh, that's good for a really young player with a really young team who are, they're just like they're still just trying to figure this thing out. I mean, the fact that they're playing well, uh, but still they're they're trying to figure this thing out. And so uh, you look at uh, the way he plays outside of the Lakers. I mean, uh, through this stretch, because last time we had you on, it was all Zion. I don't think we even talked about Brandon Ingram, and he's the All Star on the team right now. How much outside of the Lakers games do you feel like? he's been able to mesh with Zion. I think they look really well together. I think, you know, there have been certain stretches where, 
you know, it's been up and down, and there's been some games where, you know, Zion has had a really good stretch when B.I.'s been on the bench, or, you know, B.I.'s had one really good game in Portland where it seemed like they were ready to take off, but then B.I. got in some foul trouble, so then that slowed him down. But you see them really coming together, and you're seeing them work together more often in some of these actions. I think that's something Alvin Gentry has really stressed, uh, them being more involved in some pick-and-roll action, you know, a, a few a few actions on the side where Lonzo will be at the top of the key and you get those two guys working together because it's such such a hard decision for uh, defenses to make whether you kind of hold Zion from getting to the rim or you protect uh, the ball from going to B.I. and what he can do on a perimeter and you know uh, I've written, written about this before on the website as well when those guys get going together it's going to take this offense to such a higher level because they're so, both so efficient in what they do on the offensive end uh, so I think that's a process that's still working along I think the big thing is that their skill set really complements each other and you see that especially with the way B.I. has improved his three-point shot I think the more he's taking that with confidence the more he can you know get get his offense off of Zion because we know what type of force he is in the paint and you got to send multiple bodies at him to protect him from getting you know 12 layups a game so the more attention he draws the easier that's going to make it for B.I. it's just a matter of them just getting these game runs together and just gaining that experience and I think that you see them growing more and more every game and a big part of that is having you know a backcourt tandem Alonzo Ball and Drew Holiday guys that can get them the ball in the right situations and I think you see this offense really evolving with each game that passes by. Yeah, it seems like Lonzo Ball is is definitely been uh, the distributor. There's no doubt about it. I feel like he's gotten more comfortable uh, in his role uh, as look, sometimes he'll take it to the hoop, and obviously that's what you want. But I mean, it seems like he's become more comfortable in that distributor role. I mean, is that something that uh, that you're seeing too and, and the Pelicans are seeing? Yeah, in one of my recent articles, articles, I kind of likened him to a Drew Brees as pocket passer and the point guard position. It's just the way he kind of stands at the top of the key and kind of dictates Wait a minute, wait on. a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought it was Taysom Hill. Didn't last time you were coming hot with like a million Ooh, Taysom Hill. That's right. Hill takes. I forgot about my Can't, Taysom. He takes. should be Taysom, right? Come on. But Taysom isn't your typical pocket passer, though. I don't know. He's more of your hybrid <laughs> Lamar Jackson type. I think he's Lamar Jackson, but even better, right? I, I think that's the comparison we're looking for when it comes to Taysom. Uh, I thought he was Steve Young and c- combined with Jim Brown, combined with uh, Jerry yeah, Rice. Yeah, with like some Thanos thrown in there, something like that. <laughs> Exactly. So I don't know, but I, mean, I think Lonzo, you, you see him throw some of these games and you definitely can see maybe, you know, maybe Sean Payne to give him a look and throw him out there for one of these like reverse passes and see what he could do. Because he, he's he's extremely accurate with some of these passes he makes, especially the Zion, these half core lobs. I mean, it's crazy when you see him in person and I've seen him so much. I don't really react. And sometimes when we're on the road, I see the road media kind of jump up out of their seats. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they kind of do this every game now. <laughs> they do this once a game. It's crazy what type of the connection they have and I think having that presence in Lonzo that guy that can kind of dictate what's going on in the offense and say all right it's time to get B.I. the ball or you know we haven't gotten Zion going enough just being that presence when you have so many weapons as the Pelicans do on offense you need a guy to really direct the train and make sure everything's going in the right direction and make sure you're taking advantage of the mismatches when they're there and I think Lonzo has been crucial to making this thing work as smoothly as it has because you got to remember the process this team went 
went through through the first two months, I mean, it was rough. It took them a very long time to get their their chemistry down. And Zion came in, and it was basically he hit the ground running, and, and it really didn't affect them at all. And a lot of that has to do with Lonzo and the fact that he's so comfortable in his role now, and he can r- really run this offense, you know, at his own whim. And I think that says a lot about Alvin Gentry that he gives his guys that type of freedom, and the fact that Lonzo really took it and ran with it. And and I think that he's that this is the vision David Griffin and his coaching staff had when they added him into that you know Anthony Davis trade and the the leader he can be for this offense and I think the way he's playing man the the team's feeling very good about where they're going to be not only this year but going into the future with him leading the way with B.I. and Zion as you know his big wings that can score basically 30 every night you mentioned Alvin Gentry he's always a hot button topic it doesn't matter if uh how the Pelicans are doing now he still has his detractors how do you think he's adjusted uh, through this 20-game stretch with Zion in there and figured out rotation and uh, how, how to use him and then to increase Zion's minutes. And how do you think he's kind of uh, adjusted? Because obviously it's an adjustment for him too. I mean, he doesn't know how he, Zion's going to mix with everybody. Now he's kind of got a 20-game resume to kind of show how to move the pieces and how to make this thing work. Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest here, the rotations will always be an adventure with Alvin Gentry. And, you know, Alvin's my guy. But I tell him all the time, their decisions he makes, you know, with the rotations. And I'm like, okay, sure, Frank Jackson's coming in. Why not? Uh, But I think, you know, you got to give him a lot of credit, just like I mentioned before, the way this team has been able to hit the ground running with a piece like Zion basically coming in and you're shifting your entire offense. They were shooting so many threes and playing so much perimeter ball earlier in the year and now they're one of the top post-up teams in the league they're scoring a ton of points in the paint uh they rely so much on this young kid and you got to give Alvin Gentry a lot of credit the way he's made this transition so smooth and obviously Zion's help because he just doesn't miss ever so that 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 <laughs> that'll make any coach look good it helps when a lot of shots are point blank yeah. it's like it's almost he's not Shaq as in like 7-1 but I mean he's he's a bull in a china shop and get out yeah, of his I told, way so somebody, that, that, that I told somebody the other day you know the NBA is moving away from the two-point basket but I think layups are always be in i don't care what the analytics to say <laughs> they always layups, count. <laughs> layups are always good and so i think as long as zion shooting layups that's going to be a good thing for this team uh but i think you got to give alvin a lot of credit especially with the way he's kind of dealt with these young guys you know uh, they, they, they have all of this promise and all of this you know hope for their careers and kind of managing what they expect and, and just like you mentioned before bi is the guy that made it to the all-star team this year scoring 25 points a game and now he uh, you got to go to him and say hey we got to run the offense through this kid Zion Williamson because he's playing at such a high level we really can't hold him back and there really hasn't been any tension about that any kind of sniping in the media I haven't heard anything behind the scenes I think all of those guys are very comfortable in what they're doing and their role within the offense and it just says a lot about Alvin and the way he handles things and just like I said before the freedom he gives his guys uh, they all talk about it all the time they, they've never been on a team where it kind of feels like they're playing pickup ball half the time or they're, they're kind of reading and reacting and it's not a whole lot of looking to the sideline wondering what Alvin wants them to do they're free to kind of go out there and make plays on their own and in in the beginning of the season it didn't look that great and <laughs> these young guys are making a whole lot of bad decisions because of that freedom Alvin gave them but I think now you see their comfort in the system and, and their comfort and what Alvin is willing to do with them on offense and that's a big reason why Zion has been able to step in and play so well and Lonzo's been able to take his game to the next level and I think the uh, the way he hand, he's handled 
of this locker room, you got to give them a lot of credit because it could have fall, fallen apart. You know, when they lost 13 games in a row, started 6-22, and 22, a lot of people were ready to get them out of the door. There were definitely a few games where I thought this might be the last game. Alvin Gentry is coaching, but the way they've bounced back, it says a lot about the way he was able to keep that locker room together and keep these young guys focused, and now you see where they're at. How much do you feel like the rest of his teammates needed to see it to believe it with Zion. You could see at Duke, you could see on a practice court. How much do you feel like they needed to see it to believe it? And it seems to me, uh, you know, I'm not there every day. You are there every day. That, but from even from where I watch, that they believe it, and it's made them so much of a better team that they believe what everything is supposed to be basically with gentry selling with what zion brings to the table and and they've kind of bought into what what's going on and with the pelicans i'm telling you man that's the funny thing i've been trying to pry this out of these guys basically after every one of these big games for zion he drops 30 i'm like hey how surprised are you to see this from this kid? I mean, he's 19. He's putting up these crazy numbers. And to a man, all of them say, yeah, this is what we expect from Zion. We saw it in the preseason. We saw it in practice. I mean, we, we all came into the year thinking he was going to do that. And then when he got hurt, it was just kind of on delay. But <laughs> I think they all kind of looked around, I think, some point in the preseason and said, man, this guy is going to be special, not in the future, but right now. Uh, I don't know what it was he was doing in those practices. If anything, uh, for some of the behind-the-scenes stories I've heard, he wasn't even all that great in practices he's not that great of a practice player he's more of a guy that turns it on in games but uh from drew holiday to Lonzo ball all of these guys they say the same thing whenever we ask these questions that yeah we knew he was going to be this guy because we saw the strength and the the athleticism and the efficiency uh, they all saw it very early and almost immediately when he got to new orleans and i just think this is something we haven't seen in the nba we've seen these phenoms come in with all this potential and the ability to make plays but I, again we got to bring that name up again i don't think we've seen anything quite like this since lebron a guy to come in and basically become one of the best players in the league immediately uh from the day he stepped foot into the nba i think it's incredible what he's been able to do so early in his career and not only that but to do it when he jumped in halfway through the season when so many of the guys knew what they were doing and they were comfortable in the way they were playing and he steps in not knowing what he's gonna how he's gonna fit in the nba he kind of joked that you know i was just trying to stay out the way early on and then alvin Gentry had to go to him and say no man uh you can score 30 i think we're gonna get out of your way <laughs> and let you go uh, it just says a lot about what type of talent he has and then man uh, it's just scary to think what he's going to look like once he gets a full offseason under his belt he can get his conditioning better you know tighten up some of the, the, the little things in his game and just what kind, what kind of way he's going to dominate this league I don't know I don't even know what it's going to look like but man I just think it says a lot from when you talk to guys like Drew Holiday who's seen the the Anthony Davises of the world and the DeMarcus Cousins and he's like nah uh, this guy has it and uh, I think the Pels fans have something special going on here for sure yeah, it's almost like, all right, Anthony Davis came back, he didn't play, and he's sitting in street clothes, no one cares, he's gone or forgotten. I mean, really, it's kind of, that's kind of the sense I get from people, it's like, Anthony who, whatever, we're not even bitter anymore, we got Zion, good, who cares. But uh, before we let you go, of course, Pelicans would play the Timberwolves tonight, of course, recording Tuesday morning, you'll cover that game tonight, but... I just look at the next stretch, and I know they got a month and a half left, and I know they got 22 games left, but three and a half back of the Grizzlies uh, with the Blazers and the Kings in the same boat, and the Spurs are a half game behind them. 
And I look at these next stretch of games, this road swing that's coming up after tonight's game, five of six on the road. Uh, I don't want to be over the top, but I think they've got to – that to me seems like one of the most critical stretches in the season because if you struggle on this stretch – you could potentially play your way out of the playoffs. I mean, is that, am I going too far? Do you feel like that that's a, a viable thing? Oh, I mean, with the how tight it is right now, when you got to make up three games, I would say any stretch where you lose back-to-back games, that could be it. <laughs> you know, just the way things are going right now. And unfortunately for the Pelicans, uh, they lo- they lose a big guy in J.J. Redick to injury when all of these other teams are starting to get healthy. You know, I think that's something I've commented a few times on Twitter where this team throughout the years, how many times have we had discussions about the injuries and how they've damaged this team and now everybody else is dealing with the injuries. Memphis lost Jaron Jackson. Phoenix lost Kelly Oubre. Uh, you can go down a list of all of these playoff teams uh, that they're losing big guys and Portland's without Dame Lillard right now. And now uh, the Pelicans, they got completely healthy for a good stretch there you know going into the all-star break and that's why you saw them playing such great basketball and then you lose a guy like J.J. Redick uh, to a hamstring injury he's probably going to be out for two weeks because of that but I think the big storyline for this entire month basically I think is is going to be the way this team handles the back-to-back situations and they've got four back-to-backs this month and when Zion came back uh, David Griffin told us that the team will probably not play Zion in some of these back-to-backs and you know I think they've kind of alluded to maybe they've been willing to waiver on that depending on how he's looked and he's looked um, amazing so far and he's only missed one game and that was due to uh ankle twist and he and if you ask him he would probably wish he could have played in that game in indiana but the team wanted to be really cautious with them and the question is how cautious are they going to continue to be with him going forward because you know uh, they've got four back-to-backs and if he misses those four games i mean we're talking about uh if the pelicans go one and three in those games on four then that can maybe be it and that can be the difference between them missing the playoffs and making it when you talk about four different teams fighting for one spot so it'll be really interesting to see how they measure the future and how much they want to be cautious with zion and how much they want to just push it and say hey let's go forward this kid feels good we're going to let him play and i think that's going to be something really interesting to see how the Pels handle that and I think Alvin Gentry is obviously going to be really thrilled about the fact his team got four back-to-backs in one month I'm sure we're going to hear about that uh, more than once but I, I think it's going to be again uh, ongoing storyline with Zion and the way that the Pelicans handle his health and, ha- and handle him with the future in mind and just how much they're going to weigh this season versus the future and that'll be something we see but I, I think the way that they're playing they feel pretty good with or without them in the lineup but obviously with him playing they have a much better chance in a lot of these games all right that's will guillory our pelicans writer here at the athletic you can follow him on twitter at will guillory and he has been kicking butt on the pelicans slash zion or maybe it's the zion slash pelicans beef uh will appreciate you jumping on i'm sure we will have you again on in the future and like i said i think uh, the lonzo Taysom debate i mean we need to find the nba's version of Taysom. I think that's the most important thing of the of this the rest of the season. I would have to say Connor, it, have to be, mesh that somehow. It would have to be Zion, but only if he gets like five times better. Then that's that he would be the Taysom Hill in the NBA for sure. <laughs> yeah, if only he's like Wilt Chamberlain combined with like John Stockton combined with like Michael Jordan, and then they might match up to yeah, Taysom. Yeah, he might get right? close to Taysom. Oh my goodness, man! Jeff, Jeff's ear, Jeff's smiling <laughs> ear to ear somewhere stuck in uh, traffic in Baton Rouge as he was trying to go up to LSU today. So, all right, we'll appreciate it, buddy, and uh, we will talk to you again.
soon. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And now for actual Taysom Hill talk, even though uh, our own Will Guillory says Zion has so far to go to even get in the same hemisphere as Taysom Hill, we'll actually talk about the real-life Hill and everything else Saints and NFL Combine with my colleague Catherine Terrell, who, of course, covers the Saints for The Athletic. Follow her on Twitter at cat underscore Terrell. Well, Catherine, we survived the Combine somehow, some way. Uh, look, you know that I don't often go to the Combine. When we worked together at the Times Speaking you would go to the Combine and I would go to like the resorts for the owners' meetings and you would just be like the Combine uh, machine. Uh, you've covered so many times. How is your body holding up with that on top of Mardi Gras? How are you feeling? Well, it took me an entire day to recover from the combine. You know, as you know, I am about to turn 29 for the second time, and I'm just not sure I can uh, do the combine like I used to. You know me, I used to, I used to be the last one, last one standing, and uh, I don't know that that's the case anymore. We're getting old, Larry. So you're like the first, you're the first one in, last one out of the uh, of the bar scene at the combine. I think that's a good NFL trait. I think it is. Oh, I used to be. I mean, you got to play defense. You have to stay out until the last person you could possibly need has gone home. It's uh, it's it's called it's defense is what I call it. But uh, a little different this year. (laughs) So that means you're okay. You're 29 second time. So that means you're actually 30. No, that means I'm turning 29 again. 30 doesn't exist in my world. You're going to be 30. I'm 40. You can be 30. It's going to be cool. Just go with with it and be good. But, uh, well, part of that is certainly unearthing information at the Combine. And, look, I I think you and me, for all the people we've talked to, uh, we certainly unearthed a lot of that. We've already written a lot of that on The Athletic right now. You can go check that out. And certainly more to come. And just what's maybe some of the bigger things that you took away, just whether it's on the record, off the record, what are some of the bigger things you took away Saints-wise uh, from, from the time that we all spent with the NFL world up in Indianapolis? Well, I think so many of our conversations revolved around what are the Saints going to do in free agency? And you know how hard that information is to get. It's like prying it out of people because no one wants to tip their hand. And I understand that. But I came away intrigued about the Saints cornerback situation. I mean, everyone knew it was kind of in flux with Eli Apple becoming a free agent and Janoris Jenkins being owed $11 million and P.J. Williams becoming a free agent. But now, as I look at it going forward from the conversations I've had at the Senior Bowl and at the Combine, I mean, I think they're fine with paying Janoris Jenkins $11 million if it comes to that and just letting Eli Apple go, which is really interesting and could change what they do in the draft. I wouldn't be surprised if that being said that they maybe target a cornerback uh, high up in the draft. I just did one of my mock drafts and I actually didn't have them selecting a cornerback until round four, just on based on how things fell, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did it in round three. So That'll be really interesting to watch in the coming months, just from my perspective. Yeah, I think the cornerback situation, uh, look, I'm with you. I think Janoris Jenkins and Marshawn Lattimore are going to be the starters. And when you look across the league, and this could only be a one-year thing. I mean, they could let Janoris Jenkins walk and kind of go on with your strategy. If they draft one, 
uh, that could be the starter after that. But also, I think, Catherine, I wouldn't discount it in round one. I mean, it's going to sound homerific, but Christian Fulton could be an option from LSU uh, in round one. Someone like A.J. Terrell could from Clemson. Uh, I know he had one rough game, but that was against Jamar Chase, and everyone has rough games against Jamar Chase. Uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about him leaving the combine. So I do think that that is something that they can look at. But also... Catherine, if I'm sure people are wondering what's going to happen with Patrick Robinson, he makes too much money. He's either going to have to take a pay cut, and they're going to they're going to cut him. I mean, you can't have someone counting six million under the cap, and he's like their fifth corner. I mean, you just can't have that. But I, I'm curious to see if they can target someone. And I bring up Fulton's name because Fulton has the ability to play outside and inside. And to me, uh, it sounds like he could be someone that they could get. And Janoris Jenkins can also play outside and inside. So I think maybe someone like him could be flexible in round one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if they went cornerback round one. I mean, maybe a little surprised. I guess it's because I'm so stuck on the wide receiver train. But when you look at how many wide receivers there are in the draft, it w- would make sense if they waited. There's just so many good options, though. I guess for a while I'm going to be as stuck on that train as you were about who was it, Marquise Lee, a few years ago. Um, We've had the debate for years and years where Catherine claims victory that she correctly picked Brandon Cooks in a 2014 draft, even though she picked him at 27. They had to go up to 20. But I was stuck on the Marquise Lee train. And so I only give Catherine half credit. I get zero credit. Actually, that was funny. Last night I was doing my first uh, mock draft, which is up on theathletic.com right now. And I went with Henry Ruggs, even though I had this debate within myself, well, is he really going to be there at 24? And I'm going back and forth. And so I finally just go with it. And I start thinking to myself, man, Larry's going to see this. And he's going to accuse me of doing what I did in 2014 and picking Brandon Cooks, knowing he might not be there. So it is early. I have that right to do that in March. But... We have worked together far too long because it's exactly what I thought. I said, you better be proposing a trade because I don't think Henry Ruggs is going to be around at 24 because he blew up the combine with speed and uh, he may be the number three receiver on the board. But here's the thing. I will look. I'm not going to give you any grief because you're right. It is early March. We don't know what they're doing in free agency. We don't know what happens in pro days. So I'm not going to give you that much grief yet. Now you do it like the day before the draft. You might catch some grief, but I'm not going to do it. That's fair. I, I'm not. I'm not going to give it to you there because, we, honestly, you, we talked about wide receiver, and we're going to be talking about it a bunch, like you said. And there were so many people on the board. It's really the eye of the beholder because I just disclaimer. I'm going to have a Saints mock draft up that's going to be up on Wednesday at the Athletic and. I really don't know where I'm going to go with my first pick. Or if I take a receiver, I don't know which one I'm going to take. And so it is really the eye of the beholder because, Catherine, I mean, you out there, people were talking about Justin Jefferson left and right. I mean, he seems like he would be a good fit for the Saints, but he might not be there. You might have to go trade up if you really like that kid. Right. I I totally agree. I did put in my mock, you know, Justin Jefferson would also make sense. But I, I basically said what you just said. It's basically pick your preference with these guys based on what the team wants. So, yeah, I know everyone said, oh, Ruggs might not be there, but, you know, what if he ends up being the 
fifth receiver off the board because everyone likes all these other receivers. I mean, probably not going to happen, but it's just so early. I, I see these things going anyway. I mean, it took me a long time to do this mock draft because some of these guys' projections are just absolutely all over the board. It's just so hard to know what teams are thinking this early. Free agency is going to give us a much clearer picture, and there's some positions I kind of put a disclaimer saying, I know it's weird, they're not looking at this position till later in the draft, but they might address it in free agency. I think that they tend to do that. I think there's a couple of positions they're going to be trying to fix before they get to the draft. And I honestly think cornerback is going to be one of them. I think they're going to be looking for a slot corner that won't break the bank. Now that is easier said than done, but I mean, that's a possibility linebacker. They could be looking at a guard in free agency, but there's not that many good guards. So their prices might be inflated, but, uh, Saints free agency is always fun. Uh, they always surprise you, and it's, it definitely keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they go with free agency. And uh, in the column I wrote uh, that came out yesterday on The Athletic, uh, being yesterday being Monday, of course, we're recording this on Tuesday, to where uh, I kind of broke down that linebacker and guard and saying that they have a history of spending there, whether it's, free agency or going out and getting someone in a trade. Uh, they've done that at linebacker. They've paid for guards in the past. And, uh, you know, I'm, and we're not talking just Andres Pete because I think we're all walking under the assumption that Andres Pete's going to be gone. And yet uh, I thought it was really interesting from some of the people I was talking to that uh, there is some doubt on Larry Warford and he's going to be entering the last year of his contract and there's some doubt there. And so uh, it might not be something where they just look at that in free agency. They might look at that in the draft as well. And uh, it, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they signed uh, an interior offensive lineman in free agency and still drafted one. Yeah, that wouldn't be surprised. The only thing that gives me pause is they don't have a second round pick. So that kind of throws things into chaos a little bit if, they're going to try to make any sort of trade up in the first round, which they've done before. But when they did that for Cooks, they had a lot more capital. I mean, I know if they've made trades since then, but that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. It's just they only have five picks. They just don't have that much to work with. So if they're going to get a guard, I, I, I don't know, could you see them doing it first round? Or, I mean, was it something that would just have to wait till the third? Because, like I said, they just don't have that much room for movement unless they dig into next year's reserves. Yeah, I don't think a, a guard in the first round, I don't think anyone's even capable. Uh, the top interior offensive lineman, and it sounds like we're a broken record, and I've got accused of being a homer in my column uh, that I wrote on Monday. But when LSU's the national champion, they have 16 people at the combine, and all these, their prospects are like, they would all f fall around and potentially have picks of need, of course we're going to keep bringing them up. And I've watched them so much in person uh, and covered them for the last two years. But Lloyd Cushenberry's the top interior offensive lineman. Uh, Damian Lewis is right up there. you got two kids from UL Lafayette that are also in that group. There's a lot of good interior offensive linemen in this draft that are from around here. It's just the way it is right now. And so uh, I don't think first round, but maybe they – finagle something and make, move into the second round. I don't know. I think that's going to be a challenge. Kevin, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I know we're jumping all over the map here, but, but still, I wouldn't be surprised. It, it, you Think back to 2014. 
They traded up for Brandon Cooks. I mean, there were a ton of receivers in that draft. I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints tried it. If they loved someone, that they would try to trade up in the first round to go get someone. And my love has nothing to do with the corny pun uh, where our producer's going to like throw the kibosh on me about Jordan Love because they're not trading up for him. But they might trade up for someone just because you can move up a few spots from 24 to, say, 21 or 20. I, I'm not going to discount that this year. No, I, I wouldn't either. I actually went back and looked at the Cooks trade um, to see what they gave up. and They gave up their third-round pick to move up seven spots. I think theoretically if Ruggs is gone, I mean, I've seen Ruggs at 15, but I've also seen him at 20. Nine spots would be a lot, but maybe a couple of spots. I mean, it wouldn't have to be Ruggs. You know, if, if anyone is there around 20, I think that that's realistic to give up a third round pick or, or maybe 19 or 18. I don't know who's picking at those spots, but yeah, I mean, it's realistic. But then you go several rounds without a pick that's the only thing that you just wonder, oh, would they be willing to do that? Like not pick again until maybe the fourth round? I don't know. It just depends on what they would have to give up. But, you know, it always does. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's why this draft is kind of weird. There's so many possibilities for the Saints. Even though I've been yelling about receiver for, seems like, forever, it does not mean they're going to go that way. There's, there's a lot of options. Right. Uh, but it, the year we knew a receiver was so obvious, uh, they did go it. They needed cooks. And so, uh, and then they've had years where they picked Mike Thomas around too. And it wasn't as obvious, even though when you look at it now, it's like, all right, they had two smaller guys at Cooks and Sneed, and T- Thomas came in, and now he's Mr. All Pro Offensive Player of the Year. But, Kathy, you look at actually some of the teams that are above the Saints right around that cluster. It would be the Eagles and Buffalo, and I think both could take wide receivers. So if you like the guy, you'd probably have to jump them. So if you jump to 20 or 19, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. But it wouldn't be, as I'm spinning the conversation back, it wouldn't be for like an interior offensive lineman. It wouldn't be for like an edge rusher. Maybe they fall in love with like a linebacker. I don't know. Uh if some crazy yeah, reason, like, yeah, if Isaiah Simmons falls, that he's not going to fall. But here we go again, home horrific. Patrick Queen could be around there. And if you, he's they could use a middle linebacker, potentially, depending on what they do in free agency. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that it wouldn't necessarily have to just be for wide receiver. But uh, there's there are a few positions they wouldn't like they're not going to trade up for quarterback and they're not going to trade up for a running back. I mean, they're not, they're not going to do any of those things, not a tight end. They're not, they're just not going to do that. Yeah. I've actually seen uh, Patrick queen go to the Raiders a lot in uh, several mocks, but I've, I, I've people I'm sure would love for him to go to the saints. The funny thing is in my uh, comment section, of my mock draft today, someone said, uh, well, there's a ton of LSU players that are available during some of the picks you made, and I think they're better than the picks you chose. And I said, well, to be fair, that has been the case many, many years, and they've picked one LSU player since Devery Henderson. Well, no, they picked two. One LSU player that remained on the roster since Devery Henderson was around, and he's been gone for, what, six six years now? You're talking Al so, Woods? The trivia question. Trivia question, Al Woods. He's He was taken... Uh, it was in the 2010 draft, and he did not make the team, and yet he's still in the NFL. Like, he's played for teams ever since. So that's even more of, like, the conspiracy theory. And, of course, they have drafted Will Clapp. So, and he's still on the team. So, hey, uh, but I don't think that 
that shakes it. But we're talking a different set of circumstances here. I mean, we're talking right, a team that's <laughs> right. It's different. So uh, it's a and little different know, this year, right? They know all about it. And also, Catherine, we can't discount the fact that the LSU offense was basically the Saints offense. So if you want an offensive lineman, they know what to do. If you want a receiver, they know what to do. It, like it all make. If you want a tight end, whether it's Thaddeus Moss or uh, you know Stephen Sullivan. They know the offense. Like it makes way too much sense. Finally, to maybe they just draft all LSU, LSU players and just go bonkers. You, you never know. Yeah. Wait. Why was it so similar again? Something about some guy named Joe Brady. What happened to him? Oh yeah. He must have flamed out. Right? Now he's uh, in Carolina with uh, Matt Rule and running the Saints' offense against the Saints. And I'm sure Sean Payton just loves that boy wonders being considered boy wonder. I'm sure he's just so enamored by it. No hard feelings there. I'm no. sure everyone's just friends forever. Exactly, of course. But, uh, Kat, let's move on to a, a couple other positions. Uh, we've brought up linebacker. We have brought up uh, interior offensive line. And what do you make of safety? Uh, because I know way back earlier in the offseason, you pegged Von Bell as – a guy that they should uh, heavily consider bringing back. And from the people I spoke to, and I'm not sure who, uh, if you spoke to the same people or other people, but look, it sounds like they want Von Bell back, but it's they're not going to break the bank for him. And I think it's a different scenario than when it was time for Kenny Vaccaro to get a contract and they were just like, we're done with you. And I think they want Von Bell back at a certain price, but... I think it's a tricky scenario with, with some of the pieces that you have and maybe some that are in the draft. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's interesting how things become more clear when you actually get to talk to people and just kind of see what they're they're thinking. And I I think that as much as I said, hey, Von Bell should be the key free agent signing, I think that they shouldn't just absolutely break their bank over him, like you said. Now that I've talked to people and you've talked to people, I mean, it's so clear that they love C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I mean, I feel like anytime he was brought up during the season, even if he had made a mistake, Peyton would say something like, Peyton would just gloss over it. And you know Peyton doesn't always do that. You can tell when he loves a guy, when he just kind of, when he's talking in his press conference, uh, I don't want to say makes excuses. I think C.J. is like really, he's a rising young star, but it it was just interesting in the way they talked about it in the offseason. So, I think they're thinking, hey, we're going to go full speed ahead with this guy, and I guess we can keep Marcus Williams because he's cheap, and then maybe they look to the draft to you know, look to the future. But I think Von Bell really could go either way at this point. I don't see him as a lock to come back. I never did, but I definitely don't now that I know he's probably not going to get a mega contract with the Saints. Yeah, and C.J. Garner-Johnson, they've never been shy about drafting safeties. I mean – uh, they drafted Von Bell and Marcus Williams in consecutive years to basically bump the old ones out. And then they drafted C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Saquon Hampton. I mean, we really haven't even seen him. Right. At times, he, he looked the part at times in camp. Then he got hurt, and he kind of just kind of uh, fell to the back of the roster. But uh, they probably look at him as well. And then the draft, uh, like Xavier McKinney from Alabama, uh, of course, homerific again, Grant Delpit. You can't go position without naming an LSU guy. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. Like, it's really impossible. But, I mean, you know, where do they go? Who knows what could happen there? And so, uh, but also, Catherine, I mean, to your point, I mean, just remember, 
when Sean Payton didn't call him out by name, but it's like, we got to get better in the back end uh, of our defense. And that's basically calling out Marcus Williams. Like he got to a point where <laughs> he was he definitely st- not talking about CJ. Right. He was be- definitely to the point where he's, st- he was tired of defending him. He's like, all right, he, he had to screw up a couple of years ago. Now we're three years in, you need to be ready. And so let's just kind of gauging that draft class, but, but anything else that we haven't talked about that maybe stuck, stuck out to your brain, uh, I, I will mention uh, your third round pick just to draw the ire of Saints fans uh, <laughs> that that aren't maybe happy with your pick and your mock. Oh, are you going to mention him, or, or am I going to mention? I'm going to let you do that... it. I, I'm 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 letting you do it because uh, just because I, I I I got some info on him in the combine doesn't mean I'm going to take him. But you're taking him. Go ahead. That's and all I you. Totally stole that after a conversation I had with you because actually what you said makes sense. I think I did write my write up when I picked. Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm in the third round that fans were going to hate the pick. He's the next Garrett Grayson. Next Garrett Grayson. That's what people think. Oh, come on. <laughs> I Someone said, I trust Peyton, but please not Jake Fromm. And I said, I knew he would hate that pick. I think it just would make sense after talking to you, so I'm going to give you some credit. I don't think the top quarterbacks are going to be out of their reach in the first round. And again, we're talking about draft capital. I don't think that they're going to want to give up all their draft capital to try to move up. So sorry, Larry, they're not going to send 11 first-round picks to the Bengals for Joe Burrow, who would probably turn it down I'd anyway. go with Tua. Hey, I'm good with Tua. Tate, let's Come that on. Is, trade for Tua. Hashtag it. trade for Tua. Although I did see some report that Tua in the Dolphins meeting didn't go well, um, which I thought was very interesting. Reminds me of the other time they – we're worried about a player's medicals and didn't sign them. I think that turned out poorly for them. But that's Saban. He, that was Saban's fault on <laughs> Drew Brees. That was, that, that's not the current regime. Yeah. Well, whatever. It was a good. It was a good parallel. Okay. Let's let's go with it. It is a good parallel. Um, I'll take it. Go ahead. I just think if if a quarterback that they like at all is there at a good value place, they would consider taking him because I keep saying this. If even if Taysom is your guy. If you want Taysom to be in any sort of the same role Taysom was in last year, you have to have some sort of buffer between him and Breeze. So whether that means you bring a veteran back like Chase Daniel or you draft someone, they can't have Taysom running around doing all of those things that he did if he's the direct backup. So there's got to be someone else there. It would probably make more sense to have a veteran if that's what you want, but I think you have to have some sort of backup plan. He still isn't proven He's a franchise quarterback. He's thrown, what, 13 passes and completed six? Uh, so I just think it's not out of the realm of possibility that they take a quarterback. I just think my my wish for Tua to somehow be around for the Saints and learn under Breeze is not going to happen. Oh, well, I was always uh, on the Burrow train, but, yeah, obviously that one went away. Tua is going to be fine. That one went away. But here's also the thing as we wrap up this edition of the Duncan Older Podcast. Uh, I would look at the Saints scouting department and maybe they feel like their quarterback that they could go get is in is still in college. Like that 2021 class. Because if you don't set draft one this year, you're putting your eggs in that basket that you're going to do it because I'm sure in the building people assume Drew's going to be gone. And you, if you sign Chase Daniel to a one-year deal and then you roll with Taysom and you got to draft one. And so I'm curious to see their thoughts on that class and the headliners of that class will be Trevor Lawrence. It will be Justin Fields. Um, 
I'm 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 not gonna put Miles Brennan in there. Sorry. So it's my first non LSU homerific uh, take oh. take of the pod. I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm gonna apologize for that. But uh, but yeah, I think they're gonna. It's you're, you're essentially putting your eggs in that basket. Well, sure, but if you're the Saints, you bring in Drew Brees back for another year. You're assuming, all right, we've got one more year to go all in and get to the Super Bowl. If that's the case and they get anywhere near that type of success they hope and think they can have, you're not going to be you're not going to be there to get one of these quarterbacks. It's it's the True. same situation they're in now, but I guess you can't think that way. You can't predict the future, but if if they are thinking that at all, you don't want to give up next year's draft capital this year, so which would make it less likely they make a trade. So I always wonder that, how much teams are thinking in the future. And they say they don't, but, you know, I don't know if that's true. Everyone lies at this time of the year. But uh, it, it does make you wonder kind of what their long-term thoughts are post-breeze, whenever that may be. No, that's definitely a good point. And uh, on that note, we'll wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder Podcast. Of course, I uh, want to thank Will Guillory and Catherine Terrell. Great Pelicans talk. Great Saints talk. Uh and if you're listening to this podcast, you're either doing it on two ways, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Tell a friend, tell a million, get on board the Duncan Older podcast. And if you're not on The Athletic, you're missing out. I mean, we're all over the world at this point with coverage. Local coverage here, national coverage, international coverage. It's really amazing. We we just got back from the NFL Combine and it, we had a summit with our our NFL writing staff and our college football staff. It's pretty remarkable to see so many great journalists in one room. So jump on board. Theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You could get 40% off your first year subscription. Jump on board. You can listen to all of our podcasts from locally, nationally, everywhere. So for Will Gillery, for Catherine Terrell, I want to thank our Awesome producer, Danielle, as always. So uh, we will be back next week, I'm assuming, with Jeffrey Duncan. I assume. So we'll catch up with you guys next week here on the Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.